Well, let's get going. Good morning, everybody. Um, Good morning. Glad to see all of your smiling faces and some of your blank screen faces. Um, yeah, we decided to do this again uh, over Zoom just because we figured a lot of people would either be still out for Thanksgiving or coming back from Thanksgiving. And we wanted to make sure that uh, you weren't bringing anything back with you. Uh, so <clears throat> plan most likely is to meet um, again next week in person, if we can, if it's not freezing cold, raining, all that good stuff. But, you know, just kind of play by ear for now. So yeah, welcome back. And uh, we have only probably about three weeks, I think, left, maybe two. Um, I can't remember exactly. Leslie, can you speak to that? We have two weeks left or three before we break. And we will break the 27th and the 3rd. Okay, 27th. We've still probably got four. Okay, so yeah. Okay, cool. Um, take a break like we normally do uh, over the, uh, the Christmas yeah. break. Yeah. So we are going to start this morning with uh, a worship activity that I put online for you. Uh, on the Facebook page and failed to get that to Josh so we could put on the newsletter. So I apologize to all of you anti-Facebookers. Um, but uh, yeah, I want to play this song. And then kind of while uh, you're thinking um, about the three prompts that we've been giving every week, the first one being, what does this say about God's heart? Um, what is this, you know, what might be he saying, what might he be saying to me or to the church? And then um, kind of writing up or thinking through a response to that. Uh, so we're going to listen to the song that was written by Rhett Hayes, one of our campus pastors for Focus, and performed by Pico Dickinson, one of our worship leaders. Uh, I don't remember where he does worship stuff right now, if it's Wiley or Plano or what. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just want you to kind of think through that. And so, um, after probably about, uh, I would say probably three minutes or so, uh, I'll come back and kind of share with you, uh, some of my thoughts on it and then we'll, we'll split up sort of randomly and then we can do the assignment together. And I just want to remind you again that this is a worship activity. And so it's not so much of just a discussion as much as it's an opportunity to go to God and focus on God. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and pray in response uh, or share something in response uh, that really uh, is directed at God. Cool. So, yeah, I think Grant is going to handle the audio there. And so you can be writing down those three things if you want. We'll post those in the chat, those three questions. Uh, and then I'll let Grant take it away. Yeah. 
day left amazed. He forgave a man and the people praised him. They made the way and said he'd bring change. That man's a king. regular men and he taught them to preach cleanse the demon possessed made them his media team he took widows and kids made them famous it seems that man's a king he's got hospital hands and speaks miracle words he'll help you to see if you've been blind from birth he'll help you to walk when they say that you're cursed that man's a king he announced his own entrance with a star in the sky turned storms into memories while still sleepy just passing by that man's a key hungry and tired and homeless and poor he was laughed at and doubted subject to scorn he was a statistic his life was cut short how's that a king he went from riches to rags and then he gave those away his fans turned to foes and they spat in his face they laughed at his pain so how can you say that man's a king his friends are all gone and the people don't care he's naked and bleeding gasping for air forgiving the people that put him there that man's a king played all their cards he showed that he's perfect we tore him apart he showed that our power and plans are farts that we need a king
kingdoms have faded and conquerors died. Every solution has been given a try. But God's on Golgotha with love in his eyes. And that man's a king. There's room for one more Next to King Next to a King So Grant, you can share that picture still if you want uh, and the questions. We're going to take about three or four minutes here and let you guys uh, kind of on your own think through your response to some of those questions. The picture here is just called Christ of the Breadlines. It was actually a wood carving uh, that appeared around the Great Depression uh, and just depicting Jesus <clears throat> being uh, lowly and humble and uh, in a breadline himself. Uh, so yeah, take a moment and we'll come back together. I'll share mine and then we'll break up into groups and work on that together. Okay, hopefully you are taking time to do this uh, on your own because it's very, very simple. And um, you have the ability to, you know, to be looking at things and to be contributing. And as next semester, we build on this uh, and actually have uh, sort of a pre-planned liturgy of worship where we're actually going through uh, aspects of uh, the gospel story, um, creation, fall, and incarnation. You'll have some kind of more uh, directive and, and how to think through some of these. Um, so yeah, so please um, be doing this on your own. I want to share just mine real quick before we move into uh, just a very, very, very short sermon and another kind of sharing thing, which we'll all uh, part from at the end. Um, but, you know, obviously this, I think, song is straight from scripture. I mean, it's just basically talking about um, events in Jesus's life and how, um, you know, the world was really unprepared in its religious understanding, even the Jews who were supposed to be the most prepared. Um, they weren't prepared for the kind of king that Jesus ultimately is. And I think we're not prepared often um, for the kind of king that Jesus is, at least not. That's not how we think about it in terms of our life. You know, he was perfect, skilled, political, but at the same time, pathetic and poor. Uh, and I think the key thing is at the same time, it's not like there's this story of Jesus grew up hard luck, you know, and then, you know, rose to fame. And um, we like those stories. Those are great because then, you know, they move out of the where they were and into where we all think they should be. But Jesus was simultaneously these things. Uh, and if anything, um, went back backwards in terms of what we think of as a king and where he ought to be from at least having some followers at the beginning, having no one at the end uh, during his life. And that's just the king that we serve. And that's just so hard to accept for me. Uh, very, very hard um, to accept. But it tells me about God's heart that that's who God is. All of these passages about the poor and the lowly and caring for them, he cares because that's a part of who he is. He's the humble God, the lowly God, the poor God, the God that can easily be seen as pathetic uh, from our, you know, um, 
vantage point. And so I think what is he saying to me? What is he saying to the church in this? To me, it's just um, if you're all in on this, you better stop pretending that your strength is what defines you. At least that's the message that I got. Uh, it's so easy for me to think of my strength as what I got. You know, my weakness means almost nothing to me. Uh, I'd rather rid myself of it um, than consider it at all being a part of who I am. Um, you know, the whole idea that we should boast in our weakness from Paul, like, is that a joke? Uh, it's such a strange statement to make. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. And so I think that, that whole idea that we in, um, you know, Christ's kingship are being turned into people who can embrace both the strengths and strong parts of life and the really low parts of life that we're not growing out of that we're growing into it is really important to me so i wrote a prayer and i'm just going to read the prayer uh and then we'll move on to the sermon stuff god my strength is what i got my weaknesses mean very little uh, what does it mean that i should boast in my weakness is that a joke uh, you're saying you want to use my weakness and not my strength you intend to trick me destroy me how would I ever believe such a stupid thing unless I was sure you were good and you were wise? Are you good? Are you wise? Help me see and believe that you are good and that you are wise. Um, all right. So I want to talk today about uh, identity still. We've got about two more sermons in this uh, part of our series. If you're kind of catching up with us or forgot we're just talking about the basics of Christianity. We've talked about the community. We've talked about uh, Jesus himself. And now we're talking about our identity. And I just have three really, really, really short ideas today. And then I want us to break up at the end to put this in practical terms. Uh, so the sermon title today is, It Should Be Hard to Be a Christian, all right? It should be hard to be a Christian. So as you are listening to these three points, make record of one that you particularly identify with or want to kind of explore because at the end of this, this really short deal, we're going to split up into these three groups and you'll have a chance to work with other people on this topic uh, for about 10 minutes and that's how we'll break. All right. So the first point is we aren't called to just sacrifice. We're called to live a selfless life. Okay. Not called to just sacrifice. We're called to live a selfless life. Sacrifice meaning sort of an act. Um, selfless life is, you know, a lifestyle, right? The second one is we can't get away with half-hearted commitment. So we can't get away with half-hearted commitment. And these are all three things that I think are part of why it is so hard to be a Christian. Because it's very easy to, to get away with these things apart from Christianity or apart from really following Jesus. Easy to just sort of be half-hearted in our commitment towards things. It's easy to just do good things from moment to moment, but not actually live a very good lifestyle, right? And then the last one is we don't get to be good by popular opinion, okay? We don't get to be good by popular opinion. So those are the three. As we talk about each one of these very quickly and briefly, you can decide which one you feel like uh, would be a good one for you to either listen or participate in, in our kind of final group type thing. So I want to share with you just three pretty short scriptures 
the first one, we aren't called to just sacrifice. We're called to live a selfless life. You go to Hosea 6, 4 through 6. And all uh, three of these are really popular scriptures, but I really wanted to contextualize them a little bit because I think that they're brought out a lot of times uh, from their place in scripture and, uh, and then just talked about, but without any kind of context to them. So Hosea 6, 4 through 6. And this is a quote that Jesus uses quite a bit in his ministry. Uh, and certainly a, a main theme in the Old Testament uh, from the prophets, um, chiding Israel for their uh, lack of, you know, doing good in the community and to the people of God. So it just says, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? This is just northern southern kingdom. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Okay, two ways I think that we get convinced that we're good without God is looking to our past and the things that we've done as a sign that, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're good. You know, we don't really need to be sort of continually living in uh, a relationship with God. Or, you know, we don't, obviously don't phrase it like that. But we tend to look back on and rest on our laurels. Uh, well, at one point, I was really spiritual. At one point, uh, I was really close to God. And so that's sort of going to, like, get me enough heaven points to be okay now, even though I, I don't feel close or I'm not really doing anything. I think another one, if, if that one doesn't apply, is that we, we sort of live from one good moment to the next, sort of one good event thing that we did right. And this could be as small as treating someone right, could be as big as, you know, sort of making a big decision that we think is for God. And we live from moment to moment without really considering uh, all of the different moments and small moments in between. And guys, this is basically just the same kind of lifestyle that, uh, you know, a uh, uh, pre-Christ Jewish person could get away with living. Uh, they would go out, do their sacrifices, and then forget about God in between all of the, the, the things that they were doing. And that's exactly what, uh, you know, Hosea is saying here is that you've forgotten to acknowledge God. I don't desire your sacrifice. I desire you to be merciful people, which is a lifestyle thing. Your love is you know, here one day, gone to the next. It's here when you're doing your sacrifice, gone when you're doing all of the important things about life. So how do I know if I'm living in the past or from one good moment to another rather than trying to live daily in every moment for God? And that's the question that we're going to consider at the end of this. Okay? So we aren't called to just sacrifice. We're called to live a selfless life. And that's really hard. It's much easier to live from one good moment to the next or from one good time period uh and then to the next thing you know some of you your focus days sort of are the highlight and climax of your spiritual experience if that's true into adulthood uh you're missing the point really okay uh you're you're wanting to build on that foundation right and that's important so the next one is we can't get away uh with half-hearted commitment so again all of these go back to this idea that it's this is why it's hard to be a Christian, at least three reasons why it's hard to be a Christian, okay? So we can't get away with half-hearted commitment. Revelation 3 is where we'll go to for that. 
And this is, a, again, a popular statement, but often not contextualized. So 3, 14 through 18. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, but you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So can't get away with half-hearted commitment. This one I think is pretty simple uh, and most of us understand this. I think the harder part is trying to apply it uh, in our own life. I will say that there's a reason in this scripture that wealth is talked about because I think pursuit of wealth in particular is one of the things that breeds complacency in our commitment to Christ. Uh, you think about the, the planted seeds and how much of that those seeds would get taken away because of the pursuit of wealth. And I'm, I'm not even talking about being wealthy. I'm just talking about many of us are in that stage of pursuit of wealth. And that can often uh, sort of pull our commitment away from Christ and into trying to make money, trying to live a secure life, trying to get our investments right, sort of never ending, particularly in our society. And you see here just the, the charge that he gives to this church. You guys think you're rich, but you're naked, blind, pathetic, and poor. Um, and so, yeah, so the question then is, you know, how do I know if my commitment to Christ is competing with my commitment to other things? You know, what does it look like to really identify that, uh, looking inward? Um, and then, you know, of course, how can I, how can I change that? Okay. And then the last one, we don't get to be good by popular opinion. So this is going to be Luke six, verse 20. And as I'm finishing this one, guys, if you will put in the chat which one of these you want to explore a little bit more with other people. So again, the first one, uh, you know, desire, mercy, not sacrifice. We can't just simply sacrifice. We're called to a selfless lifestyle, right? The second one, um, you know, that we uh, can't, can't get away with the whole half-hearted commitment thing. And then the third one, we don't get to be good by popular opinion. So if everybody will put in the chat the number that they want to, you can just put one, two, or three. We'll interpret that, hopefully, maybe. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. That is how the ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how the ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. 
Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who are, uh, excuse me, if you uh, do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Yes, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. So we don't get to be good by popular opinion. But what's interesting here uh, is when you really look back at Jesus's life, the people who despised him most were the people who were supposed to be most prepared for him. It was really the religious establishment. Um, same thing with Peter, same thing with Paul. It was the religious establishment that were uh, made enemies the quickest. Often Christians, I think, in uh, error here, try to make enemies or pretend enemies out of the world around them, when in reality, uh, those that were most opposed to Christ and Paul and the other early church were the religious establishment around them. So the whole idea here is that we actually have, uh, have enemies. <laughs> and many of us probably don't think too much about that, um, but that we actually do have enemies, that, that, that we're you know, as Christians, don't get to live based on the good of popular opinion, trying to please everyone, trying to make everyone happy. Um, it just doesn't work. It's one of the hardest things, I think, in Christianity uh, to be able to um, challenge people, particularly who are religious uh, and who we love and who are around us without, uh, um, you know, um, without holding anything back, without being afraid of making an enemy uh, out of them. So how do I know if I care more about what I look like to others than who I really am in Christ? Uh, and how can I change that? So that's the third question there that we'll answer. Um, how do I know if I care more about what I look like to others than who I really am in Christ? All right. So uh, we'll post this in the chat there now that we have a group split up. Uh, when we split the groups up, we'll try to split it up in smaller groups. So seeing a lot of you like number two, uh, that's great. Um, we'll split you up into smaller groups uh, within that so that we don't have like a group of like 30 or 40. So we'll post these questions for you. The simple idea is that you respond to kind of thinking through this. So there's one, there's really two questions for each one of these. How do I know question? And then how can I change that? And to really think through uh, listening to other people. And this isn't so much a time uh, to just simply um, give advice, although advice is certainly helpful. It's much more of a sort of church confession time. Um, to think through uh, together how we uh, can change, um, you know, these, these behaviors in, in ourselves and in our own lives, uh, encouraging us that being a Christian is hard and we need to sort of do hard things um, with the Spirit uh, in order to be able to accomplish what God's actually set out for us. So we'll, we'll break from here at about, eh, probably about five, ten after. I mean, each group can kind of have their own uh, say in when that happens. Um, so yeah. All right. I'll say a prayer for us and then we're, we'll break up into these, uh, these groups. God, you are the great God, God that, uh, loves and cares for us. Um, most days, um, it's just easy to go about doing what we do, living easy lives, living low lives, 
You call us to something much higher, something much harder to do and accomplish. Help us just to respond to your spirit, to be willing and able uh, to just follow you where you go, to trust you and your wisdom and your goodness, to do the hard things that you've set out for us to do. We know that in those challenges and in those struggles, you turn us into um, a new person. Um, Help us to not avoid that, to be courageous and bold in doing the hard things uh, that you've given us to do as we take it as discipline for those that you love. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, I think that's good. That's a wrap. I don't think we have any announcements or anything. So uh, thank you guys for, you know, being here this morning and continuing to, uh, yeah, do this thing that we don't know what we're doing last minute. Um, We have probably not announced this in a long time, uh, but uh, if you need any financial help or know of anybody that does, I just remember to talk to any of us on staff and make sure that people are doing well through this time period. I know a lot of people lose some benefits and things after Christmas. So um, yeah, just let us know. Uh, We do a number of things to the church, including microfinance loans and sometimes just outright gifts and uh, stuff like that, especially as Christmas is coming up. All righty. Okay, great. If I had a benediction, I would give it to you, uh, but I don't. And so uh, go in peace. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.